South Africa is now being seen as a consistent, reliable producer of quality wines, and it's a, it's a great time to be in our industry. Hi everyone, I'm Reg Lascaris, and welcome to Market Share. This is where I chat to entrepreneurs and leaders who influence the way brands are built, big brands and small, as well as people who have had an impact on the marketing industry. So, in its simplest form, it's just fermented grape juice. But what makes this drink complex and extremely enjoyable is the artist who creates it. Yep, I'm talking about wine, and today I'm chatting to one of South Africa's legendary winemakers, Mark Kent. He's the managing partner and maverick spirit behind Book Notes Cloth, a winery that produces many great wines, including the Chocolate Block. But before I say hello to Mark, I just want to declare my interest in this venture. Hi, Mark, and welcome to Market Share. Hi, Rich. Before we talk about the success of Chocolate Block around the world, please tell me about the South African wine industry today. Is it growing? Is it in bad shape? What's the situation? Well, firstly, it's quite a different industry to the one it was when I entered uh, and joined uh, you and the guys 26, 27 years ago. Um, when I joined in, in 1994, South Africa had about 120,000 hectares of vineyards and just over 200 registered producers. Today, we have 90,000 hectares and over 1,000 registered producers. So the industry has been in decline, although there are more producers and producers are trading up. The industry was run by a whole lot of producer wholesalers, the old cooperative system. Today, we have a lot more independence uh, and, frankly, a lot more excitement. Well, that's great. What varietals are doing well? Well, in terms of the national planting, Shannon was always, uh, for many years, been the most planted variety. Uh, in terms of red, uh, Shiraz is the one probably most planted in the last 10 to 15 years. And uh, a lot of Sauvignon Blanc along the way. So, so do you see a bright future for the South African wine industry? I think it's tough. I think it's uh, agriculture globally is under pressure. Um, I think there's growing demand for wine and particularly premium table wine. But we see new producers. Uh, China has uh, more than 500,000 hectares uh, planted sure. to vintage, which didn't have 25 years ago. So things are changing. Have they actually started producing wine? Absolutely, yeah, 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 and obviously most of it for domestic consumption, but there are some brands that are getting a small uh, global footprint. Do you know of any one brand that, that, I, that you can tell me about? Yeah, well, the one called Great Wall, funnily enough, is a, a Chinese brand, and there are many sort of French lookalikes, you know, guys who have tried to put, because China is so vast, somewhere there's got to be great pockets for viticulture, and I think the guys have been quite successful. Getting back to South Africa, how does our quality compare to the rest of the world now? Well, I think South Africa at the high end has always produced favorable uh, quality price ratios and, and it's got a reputation. And guys like Yeban Saudi over the last 20 years have certainly helped. But where South Africa struggled is South Africa until recently hasn't really been seen as a reliable, consistent producer of quality wines at sort of mid to lower price tiers. We've lagged far behind Australia, New Zealand, France, Spain, Italy in terms of our average retail selling price. But I mean, is our, is our quality up to, I mean, most of the other new world wines is as good, better? Certainly, uh, obviously, most of the critics, the, the big publications, Wine Spectator, Wine Advocate, always uh, have been US-based and have been very Franco or Eurocentric as well as favoring their domestic production. So I think we're still 
way off South Africa consistently getting 99s and 100s from wine advocate, wine spectator, etc. Um, but certainly the, the perception is that over the last period, the quality's improved remarkably. And what are the other up-and-coming wine regions in the world, Mark? I think more and more out of South America, Argentina being seen, you know, they're producing better, better quality. Chile, there's some brilliant wines. And then there's kind of been a resurgence, obviously, in Italy. Italy at the moment is, is really the hot country globally where people are so interested in what's happening. Spain, too, uh, you know, top wines out of Ribera del Duero or out of Rioja, stunning wines and challenging, really, the the position that France has had, the perception has always been that the, you know, the best wines are produced in France, whatever. But I think uh, that position has been challenged. Is it being challenged? But do you think overall the French are still the best? Well, I think the reference is always going to be uh, Bordeaux and Burgundy. I mean, the 2020 on-premier campaign for Bordeaux is uh, just finished now and the first reviews are coming out and it's looking like uh, another great vintage. 2020 being declared and it's uh yeah they're certainly there although not everything's great i mean the, the 2021 position at this stage although we're a couple of months away from harvest is not looking great the eastern parts of france burgundy the northern part of the rhone valley has had significant frost so that's really challenged the, the yields but it's going to push prices up again um new zealand too new zealand had a a really uh, small harvest in 2021, which means that you know, New Zealand markets are largely driven by Sauvignon Blanc and uh, its reputation is for premium Sauvignon Blanc and there's going to be a shortage. And that gives South Africa a real opportunity to produce. Um, we've got the wine and now just pick yeah, up the slack. The markets, with, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah well, to take advantage of New Zealand's lack of production. Mm. But let's talk about chocolate block now. And the first question everybody asks me is how did it get its name? I've heard many versions and I have my own, but I want you to keep me honest and tell me the real story. How did Chocolate Block get its name? Yeah, there are indeed many stories, but uh, it all went back to, the, I think it was the year 2000, and I was at uh, Lord's Cricket Ground with a guy by the name of Tony Allen, who was uh, then the buyer for South African wine for a high street retailer called Oddbins. Uh, those of you who travel to UK will know Oddbins. It's a brand that's been around forever. And Oddbins, uh, at the time, were a big uh, purchaser and seller of South African wine. And Tony asked me to do an own label Syrah or Shiraz for Oddbins and call it the chocolate block. And I said to him, hey, Tony, forget about that. We're not doing any uh, own label business. And anyway, left it at that. And uh, he was buying heaps of Porcupine Ridge at the time and bits and pieces of Book and Oats Glove. And kind of the conversation ended. Then uh, a year later, I was at Vin Expo in France uh, with my uh, then colleague, Governor Rudiger, who now makes wines for Reineke Wines, Kruner, etc. And Rudiger and I were, after Vin Expo, headed down to the southern part of the Roussillon into the Costa Brava in Spain. And we're intrigued that a lot of the traditional kind of Syrah, Grenache, or Ganache combinations, the guys had started to introduce some Cabernet into the wines to give the wines a bit more structure. So anyway, we, we had a bit of a jolly and tasted some great wines. And in 2002, we decided to, to assemble a wine. We, we, we made some wine with Syrah, with Grenache. We put some Cabernet in. And then we added some Cinso. Uh, Cinso is a, 
has been a missed opportunity in South Africa. To, today, it's very fashionable. A lot of the hipsters are drinking old vines and so But 20 years ago, it wasn't quite like that. And we saw there was this abundance of old vines and so So we, we made a wine with Grenache, Syrah, Sinso, Cabernet Sauvignon, and also introduced a white variety, uh, Viognier, to the blend. Then in 2003, blended this wine, and we didn't have a name for it. And I remembered that conversation with Tony. And so I called Tony and said, hey, Tony, uh, it's Mark. You know, remember that name, the chocolate block? And he said, yes, of course I do. I created it. And I said, well, Tony, do you think uh, I could use it? So I explained the project. And he said, sure, as long as I gave Oddman's exclusivity on the, the first vintage, which we did. So we released, uh, and in 2002, it said 2002 vintage, 15 barrels. Obviously, the positions changed today. But why did he come up? What, what does chocolate block mean? Does it have a meaning? Does it mean a mixed bag of varietals? What does it mean? This was a time of these big blockbuster Shirazes out of the Barossa, out of South Australia, that were largely you know, made in new American oak, lots of vanillines, lots of lactones, chocolatey type flavors. And I think this is what kind of Tony had in mind for us. Book and Oats Clove had already a, a reasonable reputation as a, as a leading producer of, of Syrah or Shiraz in South Africa. And hence his idea, you know, let's do a Shiraz for them and call it the chocolate block. Yeah, and then I decided rather than a blend up to that stage, Book and Oats Clove uh, through both ranges, Porcupine Ridge and Book and Oats Clove, were only doing single varietal wines. And so this was our, our first uh, blended effort at a premium. And uh, coincidentally, it was also a time which we introduced our first entry-level blend, which is called the Wolf Trap. But, uh, yeah, so Chocolate Blocks uh, came along, and it's uh, the, the five varieties all add something unique to the blend. Syrah, which is the dominant variety, normally somewhere between 70 and 80%. Syrah gives the wine nice spice and aromatic. Uh, the Cabernet, as I mentioned, gives the wine some some structure. Grenache gives the wine a, a beautiful uh, acidity. Uh, Sinso is a large buried variety, so a lot of fruit flavors, not too much tannin. And then Viognier, just a bit of perfume. And yeah, the rest is history. And where do most of the grapes come from? The Swatland or... All over the place. So since 2015, uh, the, the wine has moved to a wine of origin, Swatland. Before it was coastal region, we were literally buying actually a lot up in uh, the Pekingese Clough. The Grenache was coming from Cabernet, was from Stellenbosch, Swatland with Syrah. And then from 2015, which was a great celebrated Cape Vintage, we decided that let's make the um, this wine its home. We'll give the wine its home in the Swatland. And today, most of the, the Syrah component actually comes from our own vineyards on our, on our two properties, Porcelainburg and Goldmine uh, in the Swatland. Mm. So, and apart from its quality, why do you think it's been so successful? Because everybody says we don't, you know, why is it so successful? Well, I think the first thing is the name. Obviously, people buy into the proposition. Everybody loves chocolate. Uh, the wine's beautifully packaged. But uh, then afterwards, it's about the intrinsics. You know, you only buy the first uh, bottle based on its uh, on what it looks like. And uh, it's an interesting story because I, I really feel that, you know, today chocolate blocks in about 60 markets worldwide. And it's, it's sort of bridged that gap between South African wine and global People are buying into the brand rather than buying into South Africa. And I think that's uh, quite a significant achievement. There's not many South African brands at a premium level that have got this kind of reputational following. Yeah, because, I mean, it is. It's probably one of South Africa's most successful exports, isn't it? I mean, in terms of wine. Yeah, um, there are a couple of others. Um, when I think of, of Kanunkop with a cadet 
uh, Rupert and Rothschild with Classique. But that's what South Africa is really missing. We, we need s- some premium brands with some scale, with some reach that have global distribution. And you say 60 countries. Where, where is it doing really, really well? What's the, what's our, the main export market? Jeez, Reg, uh, proportionately to all the markets that we sell, it, it does relative, relatively well. The UK currently is, 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 is by far the biggest, and it hasn't always been that way. Um, it's a huge brand in travel retail. So we're within uh, most of travel retail within Europe, Dubai and Dubai Duty Free, uh, at a stage it was outselling every other South African bottle three to one. As well as big support from Emirates, it's been first class in BA, uh, flying business with uh, Emirates from time to time. Yeah, it's a great reach, as well as uh, within the duty-free, Heinemann duty-free within Europe is a very big customer of the chocolate plant. Well, I remember just mentioning BA. I remember you telling me a wonderful story about BA doing some research on what people take out of a country when they leave a country. Why don't you just tell me that story again? Yeah, just quite cool. So they, they notified us a couple of years back saying, you know, BA, uh, as you know, when we all shop in duty free, we have to present our boarding pass and they're able to track the data. So uh, they, they did and they said, well, what do you think the, well, the research showed that the number one thing that people were carrying on, let's say out of the US um, onto BA flights through the various, through JFK, wherever they were flying, Logan, the, the biggest thing that people carry on out of the U.S. is M&M's. Out of Australia, it was Tim Tam, the, the, those cool kind of biscuits. Out of uh, Portugal, it was a, I think it was a brand of olive oil. Out of Ireland, it was a brand of crisps. But the, the number one thing that people carry on out of South Africa through the various flights through Oatambo and through Cape Town International, the number one thing BA customers carried on was a bottle of the chocolate block, which is, which is, Quite significant, considering the, if you look at the value of a packet of crisps or of M&Ms or of Tim Tam. Yeah, so it was, what was interesting data. Let's now go behind the mask of Mark Kent. I want to ask you about yourself. How did you get into the wine industry? Yeah, so like many of us, I landed in the, the wine industry completely by accident. All I ever wanted to do was fly airplanes. Uh, and in the late 80s, uh, I went up to Pretoria and was selected to fly in the South African Air Force. And it was an interesting time. This was midway through 89. And quite quickly, two things happened. The ANC was unbanned. The war in Angola had ended. And they stopped training pilots. So uh, I just then completed what was still compulsory national service and was waiting for uh, flying school to to reopen. Then uh, I was working at a restaurant uh, in southern part of the Cape Peninsula, just outside of Simonstown, a restaurant called the Black Marlin. And the owner was not only incredibly generous, but it had a really nice cellar and kind of took me aboard. And I managed to sell more of a, a which was then a new property called Glen Carlo, more Glen Carlo Chardonnay than any other uh, waiter. And in the country, I think that's what the Phoenicians told me at the time. And they invited me to, to visit this property. Now, I'm from uh, Natal South Coast, from Warner Beach, in fact, and which is very much uh, beer and whiskey and, uh, and cannabis country and uh, <laughs> n- no wine culture whatsoever. So I'd moved to the Cape with my dad. And anyway, I was working at this restaurant and uh, had an aptitude for for, for wine, it was clear. And the Phoenicians invited me to Glen Carlo and I spent a day with them. And they said, you know what? Mark, why don't you come and help us next week? Uh, we got a wine show. It was uh, at the old Good Hope Center. I went and poured wine. And then they said afterwards, well, you know, what, would you consider going to wine school? And I said, wine school, what's that? Um, anyway, I landed up at wine school. And then after three years there, 
in the late 94, I joined Book and Oaks Cliff. And that's kind of been my journey. I arrived in, in Franschhoek 1st of December 1994 at Book and Oaks Cliff. We produced uh, the first wines in 1996. And yeah, it's been an incredible last 25 years. Hasn't it been? It's really been mm-hmm. an incredible 25 years. And, and Mark, tell me something. How do you stay so passionate about wine? Well, I think uh, everybody asks, like, which is your favorite wine? It's like asking which are the favorite of my two kids, you know. Yeah. Um, for me, the what I love about the wine industry, you, you spend a lot of time with like-minded people generally. I mean, there's a couple of rogues in between like any industry, but generally they're really good people in the wine industry. And most people tend to uh, land up in a wine industry again by accident and it's through passion. It's, it's a wonderful product. And the beauty of wine is that you're governed by agricultural cycles. Each vintage is different. But for me, the joy is still today, whether it's Porcupine Ridge, which is still one of the largest Sauvignon Blancs in terms of volume produced in South Africa, whether I'm in Canada and, and see a, a customer taking a, a bottle of Porcupine Ridge off a shelf in, in Toronto or in Quebec or sitting in a restaurant somewhere and somebody's pouring a bottle of Wolf Trap. It gives me immense pride. And seeing it on airlines, you know, we're sitting in the, in the back of the plane, seeing Porcupine Ridge being poured with Emirates and knowing that somebody's lucky enough to be drinking Porcelainburg or Buchanan's Kloof in the first class cabin. That's what excites me. And uh, it's fantastic. And as I said, it's, there's never been a better time for the South African industry. You know, we, we've got a, Again, rock stars like Eben, uh, like the Mullenews, like uh, Adi Bardenhorst, waving the flag for us. And for the first time, it's important to repeat that South Africa is now being seen as a consistent, reliable producer of quality wines. And it's a, it's a great time to be in our industry. And you mentioned you mentioned all the other rock stars, but let me tell you, you're the main rock star in this business, i got to say. What are your dreams for the future? Well, I just think that uh, so if South Africa could get its rightful place on the, on the top tier of global winemaking, that people recognize us. And I think, you know, a lot's happened, uh, not, not, not so much in the cellar, but more in, uh, in the vineyards. I think we, uh, people like Russa, uh, Russa Kruger, who have uh, revolutionized viticulture in South Africa, and there's so much more effort made in vineyards. You know, wine is made in the vineyards. And uh, for too long, it's been the winemakers who have taken the glory in the cellar. And I think uh, the next way we're going to be recognized uh, as not only great winemakers, but great growers of grapes. And uh, I think that's the future for us. Better plant material available. The vineyards are getting older. You know, South Africa led the way with the Old Vine uh, Initiative, where we certified old vineyards. And now wines made from those old vineyards get a seal. And we're fighting to preserve these national treasures. Mm. And what do you do for fun? <laughs> Make more wine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, outside of uh, football, uh, you know, my love for football. Uh, I enjoy water sports. I try and sail if, if I can, but mainly football, actually. I'm a huge Liverpool fan. Try and get to Anfield uh, as often as I can. And uh, I've got uh, teenage uh, twins, which is uh, enough of a challenge, as you would know. But yeah, really, outside of wine, it's, it's football and, and water sports. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'm just going to wrap it up now by quoting Robert Louis Stevenson, because he said, wine is bottled poetry, and I agree with him. And I want to add to that by saying, wine improves with age. The older I get, the better I like it. Cheers, everyone, and thank you very much, Mark. <laughs>